What's up? What's happening from Radio Row in Las Vegas? Uh, if you are watching us on YouTube, you see we got a guest already here. It's Robert Mays from The Athletic. And Robert, I have to say, whenever we play our little hour openers and there's a guest and I can see their reaction, uh, it's, it's either the favorite part of my day or the least favorite. That one's kind of goofy. But it, it is our show. Uh, so welcome, and, and thanks for being our first guest here on Radio Row. I'm happy to be here. I always am. It's always great to chat with you. Um, and unlike, you know, it's funny because this is, this is the land of skits and bits. It is sports radio, and especially no more than this year, <laughs> because it is sports radio meets Las Vegas. And what more skits and bits combination is there in sports media than if Radio Row at the Super Bowl was in Las Vegas, but I actually want to talk football with you. Like, is, is, uh, does that mean like we have to put up a wall? Like, is this an island, an oasis over here? It is a this week always. If you're in this business and you're in the content world, which we all are now, yeah, it's impossible to escape the. Am I doing enough? Am I doing the right stuff? What should I be doing? Should right. I be doing that? Right. And I always try to insulate myself as much as possible because. All we really want to do on our show, for the most part, is right. talk about football. Right. So I'm happy to do that at any stage. Yeah. Uh, of course, Robert is the host of the Athletic Football Show. Very, very good podcast. All things NFL. Uh, on, and is good at breakdowns uh, if you read his work at the Athletic as well. Um, let me. We'll talk about the Commanders in a second. What's your? Who's like the the best conversation you guys have had so far this week? Who's been your favorite or one that you're looking forward to? We've in the really podcast? been doing most of our shows so far. So Nate's going to be doing some film breakdowns with a bunch of players over like the next two days. Okay. I always feel like that's a really good way to get the most out of that 10 to 15 minutes that guys are going to give you yeah, just because sure. they're instantly explaining something to you. You can learn a little bit, kind of turns them on right away. So we're going to be getting some really good guys just to be breaking down kind of one or two plays from their season on our YouTube channel over the next two or three days. Nice. So definitely check that out. Um, Nate, uh, if you don't know, Robert's co-host, Nate Tice, uh, who has a great uh, view of the quarterback position especially because that is his uh, former gig. All right. So – this is the question I'm probably going to ask the most this week, but what do you make of the Dan Quinn hire? And, and then we can branch off into Cliff and into Peters, how it all works, the setup. But Quinn to Washington, how do you grade that hire? If they weren't going to get the two guys that they seemingly wanted before Dan Quinn, I understand landing on Dan Quinn, right? This is a safe choice. This is a reliable choice. It's a guy who has done this before. I think the floor with a Dan Quinn hire is fairly high. And if you're going to miss out on the potential high upside swings of a Ben Johnson, of a Mike McDonald, these unknowns but younger guys who theoretically have a really big upside, then landing on Dan Quinn is a, okay, we have an adult in the room. This is a solid place to start. I understand how they got there. Um, I should also mention before my boss murders me that uh, Dan Quinn is actually joining us in 40 minutes. So uh, Dan Quinn is calling into the show. He's not here in Las Vegas, but Dan Quinn is on the show today at 445. So make sure that you are tuned in. Tell your friends. Get the free Odyssey app. Hey, download that so they can listen. Stream us on YouTube. Listen to us as they drive around. Take an extra lap around the Beltway. Whatever you got to do. Dan Quinn at 445. Um, I agree with you on that, but I do wonder about Quinn's ceiling because we talk about so much of the floor with the, these veteran coaches, but we've seen the retread, if you will, guys in their second stint that it can go as high as you can go for. Like Pete Carroll in his second stint won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Dan Quinn was there for it. Um, Belichick was not uh, the first, you know, that wasn't his first go around in New England and it's the best coaching run that anyone's ever had. So the idea that it is, you know, just because we don't know means there's a higher ceiling is, is I don't necessarily think it's wrong, but I do think it is something that sometimes we ignore. What what does Dan have to do differently this time around in your mind to make sure that he can have a Carroll-esque run where the 
the ceiling is higher than anyone thought. Well, if you look at a Pete Carroll and the reason that I think that worked out so well the second time around, you have an influx of generation-changing talent. Yes. Like if you look at those drafts, that 2010, 2011, 2012 stretch that Seattle had, they had better players than everybody else, and that's a really good place to start. And also, there was a schematic advantage created by the introduction of that kind of Hawk cover three defense that took over the league for 10 years. So it was a very different Pete Carroll because of the players that he was trotting out and because of the newer sort of stuff that they had from a schematic X's and O's point of view. I think Dan Quinn's not going to kind of jump us with anything schematically here. We yeah. watched him be a defensive coordinator again in Dallas for the last couple of years. I think we kind of understand what Dan Quinn is. So I think the reasons that this could be better the second time around are a little bit more flexibility within that defensive system. You know, when they were in Atlanta, it was still a lot of that tried and true Seattle principles where it was a lot of single high defense, a lot of man, a lot of cover three, and it was inflexible at times. In Dallas, they introduced some a few more counter punches, a few newer kind of elements of what they wanted to be, and I think they had more answers than they would have when Dan was in Atlanta. At the end still, though, we saw it get a little bit stagnant, a little bit predictable. So I right. think that's going to be a huge consideration is how do they stay one step ahead with objectively worse players in sure. Washington than they had in Dallas. And on the other side of it, one of the reasons Dan had success in Atlanta, he got the play call right. And that is right. going to be the question for any defensive-minded or CEO-type head coach. Did you get the guy that's calling plays for your offense that can be a true difference maker at that spot? Okay, so we just opened up a couple of cans. And I, I swear to God, because I said I'm not going to do bits. This is not a bit. I just got a text from Commander's PR. It looks like Quinn's going to be 515. He was floating between the two times. 445 is what we thought. Looks like Dan Quinn at 515 today. So all those friends you just told, tell them 30 <laughs> minutes later, Dan Quinn at 515. So I had one of the – I don't know that K.J. Wright was a generational guy, but he was pro bowl, pro bowler. Um, Hugely important of, to what that defense was. Totally. Had him on the show when they hired DQ, and he said he would have told DQ, I want you to be the play caller because he had such a good feel for that. There's going to be a lot of talk about Cliff, and I want to talk to you about Cliff in a second. But when we talk about that schematic advantage, one, one area where I feel like a lot of head coaches – like handicap themselves is you get the job because you're a great coordinator. Dan Quinn is one of the great defensive coordinators in the last 25 years in the NFL. I would hope that he is heavily involved on the defensive side of the ball, even if he's got head coach stuff to do. So I, I guess that that is like a sentiment. I, I guess I'd, I'd like your reaction to that sentiment, and then I can go. I understand a that. I, I think that that's that's why a lot of these guys did get the job. I also feel like it's important as a head coach to make sure that you're present in all areas. You're setting yeah. what the building feels like, and I think that the best thing that Dan can bring as a head coach, period, is energy. Yeah. It is a feeling of how it. What is it like going to work? Are you excited to be there? I've started to really buy into that. When you talk to players around the league, yeah. when you talk to assistant coaches around the league, that being the vibe in the building, that being just the overall feeling that your staff has, the roster has, that's important. That matters. And I do think that is where Dan Quinn shines, even compared to other people calling defensive plays. For sure. All right, Robert Mays from The Athletic is with us. So on the defensive side, I definitely agree with you that in Atlanta it got stale at the end. And I think Dan knew it. Talking to Logan Paulson, my co-host on my podcast, who was there for part of that run, he could he, he, the word that Logan used was like he was itching. Like he mm -hmm. knew something had to change and he couldn't quite figure out fast enough to make it actually happen. As someone who studies the schematics of this as much as anybody in our business, like where do you think that next step is where offenses are starting to evolve, the run game is starting to come back in vogue a little bit? What's the next step for defenses from hot cover three to kind of these Fangio different things, some of the zone match principles that have, have become in vogue that make 
reading coverage damn near impossible. What's the next defensive adjustment to this stuff, and how do you think a guy like Quinn and some of the principles that he instills matches up with where the game is going? I think it's a few different things. I would say flexibility in all areas. So if you look at, in my opinion, the best defenses in the NFL this year, let's talk about Baltimore and maybe Kansas City. The Ravens or the Chiefs could be a different front play-to-play, game-to-game. Sometimes it's a four-man front. Sometimes it's a five-down front. You have no idea what you're going to get depending on the situation because their personnel can do both. I think that's hugely important in the front end. On the back end, you have these defenses that are the best defenses in the league. It's Rolodex coverages. You have no idea what you're going to get. I was looking at the numbers today. The Chiefs played the least amount of cover three in the NFL this year by a lot. And you really don't have any idea what they're going to trot out there depending on down-distance situation. I think that unpredictability is very important. I think the last part of it is how are you going to bring pressure without putting yourself in a bad spot? So a lot of these simulated pressures that these defenses are using where they're going to bring four, you have no idea which four it's going to be. So you can be sound on the back end while unpredictable with the amount of guys you're bringing at the quarterback. So I think it's just about making sure that you have soundness, but a defense, an offense can't get a beat on exactly what they're going to be getting down in and down out. And when you look at Atlanta, or excuse me, when you look at Dallas, that's not what they were. You know, they really leaned on the level of talent that they had on that defense, and they leaned on the pass rush getting home and those corners really being able to play top down, really sit on some stuff. They played a ton of man coverage. They played nickel to pretty much everything. So I w- I'm curious to see if with a step back in the talent level he has on defense in Washington, do we see a little bit more creativity, a little bit more diversity of ideas coming from him and that staff? I also wonder, with, and I know that no, especially on the defensive side of the ball, there's no personnel that's guaranteed to be there long term. Um, so they could completely rehaul this roster in two years, if not mostly rehaul it this year. But to start, he's got Allen and Payne up the middle, and he's got Jamin. That is so much a thicker spine than he had in Dallas. So I'm very curious to see what he and Joe Witt, and we'll see who else comes uh, to, to, to fill out that staff. I'm curious to see how he applies some of the principles to that personnel because I think there's a lot of potential there. Like the, if there's looking for speed and explosiveness, like for position, Jerron Payne's speed and power for position is, is elite. Jamin's speed and power is elite. His play recognition and some other stuff is, you know, the area to be desired. But I, I like I'm, that's not me saying like oh this is gonna work I'm 100 percent confident like I have no idea but I'm really excited to see what he does. I really appreciated how much Dan I mean Dan got fired really early during his last year in Atlanta. I yes. think it was like five weeks was, into the it was, season. Yeah, five. So he had a ton of time to kind of sit back and say okay, what do I want to be? You know where were the holes? Where were some of the weaknesses? How could we maybe take this? to the next stage of what type of defense we have to play to kind of keep pace. And I wonder what sort of introspective kind of look-in-the-mirror conversations happen this offseason now that he's coming into another reset point, if that makes sense. Totally, totally. Robert Mace, uh, the Athletic Football Show, with us here on the Hoffman Show. We're live on Radio Row in Las Vegas. Again, one hour from now, Dan Quinn will join us live. Um, Cliff Kingsbury. What do you make of that hire and the what it seems to be the NFL's infatuation with him, even though like the results have been very mixed, not only in Arizona, but at Texas Tech, where people kind of love to throw out the he had Mahomes, but he failed anyway line. I it's always funny to me which offensive coordinators are the hot names in these cycles. And I think that sometimes it's as simple as, well, he was a head coach. He was a head coach. and Now we can be our offensive coordinator. Isn't that great? 
And sometimes it feels like that's as simple as the conversation is. And that's kind of feel it, it kind of feels like what's happening with Cliff Kingsbury right now, where you look at the pool of coordinators that had gotten a little bit shallow deeper into the process. Who's left around? Oh, a guy who was a head coach for multiple years in the NFL. Let's go do that. So I don't know if it's any more complicated than that being the process with landing at a guy like Cliff. Um, I saw you check your watch, and I hate to do this on the air. Are, Are you, you okay on time? Okay, You're fine. Yeah. Uh, I just. The, the nature of Radio Row is it's a zoo and everyone's got somewhere to be. And uh, so I just want to make sure that I'm not you messing are, you I'm, up. My time is yours, my friend. All right. Well, uh, Dan Quinn's not on until 5.15 now. So saddle up, my friend. Uh, we're, you're, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that to you. Uh, so I think with Quinn, it's inter- or with Cliff, it's interesting to hear what Quinn said on Monday in the press conference, which is basically that guy gave me fits. I hated playing him. And that, so he's been on my radar. Uh, what is it about that offense that when it was working for Arizona – worked and then why did defenses figure it out seemingly every year and shut it down in the back half of the because year? it's different it's it's very weird it's unique in the nfl space when you have all of the lighter personnel that they were trotting out all of the spread formations that they were using i mean it's a it's a spread offense in the nfl and i think that was the biggest difference is that like any team that's very that's a set that's separate from the pack when you have to prepare for them you don't have a lot of other things to go on this is a unique challenge compared right. to the teams that you're playing a week in and week out but i think that ultimately when you get deeper into the season and more teams have tape on it and understand what the tendencies are understand what the weaknesses are that's why i think you've seen in the back half of the season them kind of take a slide because the novelty of it all starts to wear off and defenses end up catching up yeah, I know the tempo is a big thing too. It's mm-hmm. like it's like okay, well, this is novel. What coverage do you have to play? And it takes a you know you don't figure it out. Well, someone figures it out, and then all of a sudden you know what coverage to play. The tempo doesn't matter, and you're just left with a simple offense, um, which has its pluses and minuses as well. Simplicity can be can be good or or be bad. Um, and it, when you see them hire Cliff, obviously there's a direct line to Caleb Williams, but there's also a direct line in the air raid to Drake May. I think a lot of people in Washington the first month when there wasn't a coach were like, Jaden Daniels is the guy. Where are you at on the quarterbacks, and how does it specifically change for Washington with Cliff? I have not studied them in the same way that other people have, just because that's something I typically do after the season ends where I'll start digging into the prospects. I don't know how much signal it sends about who they should get and why, because you still need a dance partner in all this. The Bears need to be willing to move off of Caleb Williams. By the way, everyone should know Robert's a Chicago guy. Yes. so Very plugged I, in there. I think that's that's part of the conversation is that even if they want Caleb Williams, that the Bears may want him as well. And there be there may not be a price that Washington's willing to pay that the Bears would say, all right, that's enough for us to take a step down from Caleb Williams to Drake May if that's how they have them ranked. So I don't know how much it actually tells us about what the draft is going to look like. So here's when I actually had a, a buddy of mine who works for ESPN 1000 in Chicago text me about this earlier today. I've done a bunch of interviews like the, where I'm in your seat instead of mine, <laughs> and people ask me the same thing. What about Washington and Caleb? And my response has been this, and I'm curious to run this theory by you as a Chicago guy. There is no way Caleb Williams shouldn't go one, whether the Bears are picking him or not. Like, there is just no – if Ryan Poles is – anywhere decent as a general manager there is no way a guy with that much hype and that much seen as a generational talent should be anything but the first pick and the bears have to leverage that and if i'm the commanders knowing that that price is going to be too steep for me like take jimmy johnson's draft chart throw it up and go out the window if it's a generational prospect i don't care if you're moving up one spot you're not giving me 400 points worth of draft stock like is that is that sound to you yes i i think that if you believe that caleb williams is a better prospect the price that you would have to get to move down from one to two should be astronomical. And it depends on who's willing to pay that. If Washington's willing to give up, let's say you have them as, 
whatever the I don't know what the numbers are for a lot of these scouts, but let's say you have Caleb Williams as an A plus and Drake May as an A, and you think that the downgrade there is worth a future first round pick and change. That's fine. I can understand that thought process. That thought that thought process, but you have to get a pretty big return in order to take that step down. And I think that's where the Bears have to be and what they have to be thinking. Um, I also get this question a lot from fans. I know my answer. I'm curious to yours. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lead you in any direction. If you're Washington, would you want Fields? No, especially because I have options. Right, I mean, I think it, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, it's the same conversation as the Bears have now. I, I think that Justin Fields is going to be an answer for a team without a path to a younger, cheaper quarterback. It's the same as it would have been the, the Bears' answer if they didn't have the number one overall pick. Right. If you're backed into a corner and Justin Fields is your best option, you can win with him. You can build a good offense around him. He's a capable NFL quarterback. But if you have an avenue to a higher upside and cheaper option, I absolutely think you should take door number two. Yeah. Uh, to me, Fields, obviously Pittsburgh now with Arthur Smith would make a lot of sense. Atlanta's always been the kind of spot for him. Is there anywhere else where you're like? The Raiders, but now with Luke Getzey, I think that becomes a question. Does he want to work with him again? I, I would, would not be surprised if them hiring Getzey put them out of the Fields conversation. So Pittsburgh... Uh, Atlanta, I think, are the two that I would mention first. And we'll see what New England wants to do. Yeah. Does New England... They're the wild card in this to me. They, they, because there's so many different layers to it. You have a first year of a front office. Do they want to attach themselves to a quarterback? Do they think that Jaden Daniels is just a better answer than Marvin Harrison Jr. would be at that spot? Or what, what's a better comparison? You take use three to take Jalen Daniels. You use your second-round pick on a wide receiver. Or you take Marvin Harrison at three and you use a second-round pick to trade for Justin Fields. Which of those is better? I have no idea. But yeah. the New, New England specifically I would say Harrison spot. Fields. Um, but also, my dream scenario for the Commanders is that New England falls in love with May. The Commanders convince everybody that they're in love with May or that they find another team that's also in love with May. They swindle New England for the pick swap, uh, make them go up. They wind up with Daniels at three and some extra draft capital. So that's, that's, that's my thing that I'm putting out in the universe. I have not studied the quarterbacks enough to have a firm opinion, but the people that I trust, yeah. the people who well, have I know watched Nate's these a big, guys, a big Nate loves Drake, Drake May yeah. and Dean Brugler, who does the most extensive work of anyone I know on these guys, really likes Drake May. And so if you're in a position to just take the guy and just kick off the next phase of your franchise just yeah. do it well just 100 percent. well it. i i'm i like daniels what i've watched better than me gotcha. so okay and that's the thing is like this this is this goes true for this whole conversation we're having on all of these guys all these different scouts all these different gms have different evaluations how mm-hmm. different they are could make a deal that works for both sides or blows up in both sides face like that is the nature of the silly season all right last but not least uh with robert mays here from the athletic football show the whole reason we're here there's two teams that are apparently going to play for a championship on Sunday. i heard yeah um early lean on the game one way or the other is there a thing that you're like i feel good about picking the side i'm picking because x it's so funny because i love the niners all year I just thought they were so good. I love the offense. There were so many weeks this season where they just felt like an overwhelming juggernaut. The Niners, or the Cowboys game, the Eagles game. But as I've sat back and really thought about all the layers of the game, I just think it's a terrible matchup for them. Yeah. Some of the issues that they've had against the defenses they played against in the playoffs, Detroit specifically, all the things that Detroit did that gave the Niners issues, the Chiefs want to do those things and are better set up to do them with better personnel, it's actually in their DNA, some of the funky pressures that they're going to bring, etc. And I think that if you play a static type of defense against Patrick Mahomes right now, you're asking to lose. And that's what the Niners are. The Niners are, 
We play with the four-man front. We play a lot of zone coverage. We believe in the soundness of who we are. We think that ultimately you're going to make a mistake. And he is playing so well that banking on them to have a negative play, have a turnover, I think that's a bad bet. So I just think that so many things are lining up where even if these teams in a vacuum are close to even, even if the Niners, I think the line's still minus two, I get that. I think the matchup specifically against KC is a very bad one for the San Francisco team. I picked San Francisco at the start of the year. I picked against the Chiefs reluctantly in the first two playoff games they played, and I felt like a gigantic, or I guess the last two playoff games they played, and felt so, the words came out of my mouth, and I realized I was picking against Mahomes, and I was like, that's wrong. And so we'll make our official picks on Friday, and I feel like I'm supposed to pick the Niners because I picked in the start of the year. You're not helping me in that regard, but I also, it's probably, you're, you're confirmation biasing me because I feel myself leaning towards the Chiefs hard. So many people are, and it's so funny to wind up in this spot, and the moment that I come back to is, let's go back to Christmas Day. You watch the Chiefs play that game against the Raiders, and you have a feeling about where the Chiefs are and what this Chiefs season is. It's easy to write them off. It's like, this is over. Right. It's been fun. Like, they just don't have it this year. And before that game against the Ravens kicked off that night for the Niners, they felt like they might have been the best team in the league. Right. So just think about how different this matchup feels now compared to what it was five weeks ago. It's crazy. Uh, The Athletic Football Show, get it wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Their YouTube page, as Robert said, will have all kinds of film breakdowns, all kinds of great stuff. Robert Mays, everybody, getting us started from Super Week. Again, Dan Quinn coming up at 5.15 today. Much more from Radio Row next on the Team 980.